Father, as we come and we open your word, we've heard it spoken, and now we need your Holy Spirit to come and take this glorious truth of yours and open the eyes of our hearts to receive it. We pray, come Holy Spirit. We ask that you would do uh, above and beyond what any of us imagined you doing this morning when we walked in here. Lord Jesus, would you come and make your truth known to us. Fill us afresh with your spirit that we may be changed from one degree of glory to another. Open our hearts to hear and to receive. And we make our prayer, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we are winding down our long journey in the book of Hebrews. We're not done yet. We've got one more week on it. But the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is really the climax of the book of Hebrews. So it all comes together here uh, that we're going to see this morning. This, uh, all of these different threads with the theme that we've been looking at. I want to remind you of what that theme is, holding fast without wavering. Holding fast in a world that is uncertain in many ways, insecure in many ways. How do we hold fast without wavering? The original audience, just to remind you, they lived in a time where their world was being shaken. These first century Christians were, had already experienced a significant degree of persecution, and they were about to experience a greater wave of persecution coming onto them. But not only were their lives being shaken in that way, they were also being tempted to revert back to Judaism, right? These were Jews who had come to faith in Christ, and other Jews in the community were saying, no, come back. You know, kind of pull back over. And the great danger there is that they would go back over and find themselves wrapped up in all of the ritualistic practices to try to earn God's favor, <laughs> all, of, all in doing that, denying the work that Jesus came to do for them. So they were living in a time, in many ways, that their lives were being shaken. Well, as I've mentioned before, the theme of Hebrews speaks to you and me as well today. Holding fast without wavering. We too live in a time where our lives are being shaken in so many different ways. And I wonder what that is like for you. Can you think of a time in your life where your life has been shaken? Maybe it's through a financial difficulty, a season of that. Maybe you've recognized your life being shaken through a business deal that went south. Or maybe a few of them. Maybe some of you have found your lives shaken through divorce or health issues that you did not anticipate. We all find our lives shaken in various ways in, in our season as we walk with the Lord this side of heaven. And so we want to look and see what does it look like that we would hold fast in those times without wavering. What's interesting here is while our circumstances are different, the greater picture is the same as what they experienced. You see, Christianity today is being marginalized all over the place, in our country especially. And, and, and the temptation, right, for us is to fall right back in line um, with the ways and practices that you and I used to be involved in before we came to Christ, to have our lives shaped more around the culture that we live in as opposed to the gospel itself. And there's this pull as Christianity is being marginalized. We're also being tempted in many ways not to go back to Judaism, but to go back to the ways of the world, that we would find our hope and our strength and life and all of that 
and the ways of this world. There's a strong pull around today. One of the questions we need to ask ourselves as we look to see what it looks like to hold fast without wavering is this. What are you holding on to to give you life? What, what, what have you hooked your faith into? What have you tethered yourself to in this world that you think is going to give you life? One of the things that we see as everything comes together here in this passage in the scripture today is that the author of Hebrews has been saying this. The things of this world are not going to be lasting. They are not going to be satisfying. They will never give you and me what we really long for. And he's saying, turn to Christ, the one who alone is eternal, the one who alone is unshakable, and you will find all that you have ever wanted in him. So the question that I want to pose as we look at in the next few minutes is this. How do we live an unshakable life in a world that is so unstable? How do we live an unshakable life in a world today that is so unstable? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us these these two images this morning, contrasting pictures or contrasting mountains, which we're going to see. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai representing a shakable life, Mount Zion representing an unshakable life. So I want to dive in and first look at a shakable life. What does it look like to live life where our lives are being shaken? And we see that in Mount Sinai. There's three things I want to just just kind of highlight very briefly as we look at this and then see what a shakable life looks like from it. First, we see at Sinai the holiness of God. As we see the holiness of God, we can't help but be confronted with the sinfulness of our humanity. But then in that, at Sinai, we also find the law that God gave, okay? So we're going to see what this looks like. Let me read again verses 18 to 21 to to give you a picture of what was going on back at Mount Sinai. This is verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now let me tell you what's going on. This takes us back to Exodus, toward the beginning of the Scriptures, Exodus chapter 19, when God told Moses he was going to come down on Mount Sinai, and God summoned Moses to meet with God on the mountain. Now, you want to, I want you to think about this scene. Here's this magnificent mountain, Mount Sinai. God coming down on the mountain, and the mountain is enveloped with smoke. And God comes down like a mighty fire on this mountain. And as God descended on Mount Sinai... There were trumpets blasting that the angels were playing. There was an earthquake. It was shaking. And what God told Moses to tell the people, they could not come near the mountain. They had to stay at the foot of the mountain. They were not even allowed to touch the mountain because when the holiness of God came down on Mount Sinai, the mountain became holy, set apart, because God is a holy God. And we read in the text that that even if an animal were to go up on the mountain when God had descended on the mountain, And the animal goes away. If someone touched the animal, they would be killed. So the animal would have to be stoned from a distance, picturing the the, the holiness of God. I want you to see that first this morning because God is a holy God. 
And, and, and when I think about that, I can't help but go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Many of y'all are going to be familiar with this scene when, when Isaiah has this vision of the Lord sitting on his throne. And there's seraphs and seraphim flying around. And do you remember what they were singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three times they sang, holy, holy, holy. Our translation for that word holy in the Hebrew, it means to cut, to cut. And and here's what we see this relating to God. It shows us that God is separate. He is cut apart from us. He is separate from us. He is set above. He's in a class of all of his own. In a sense, God is morally pure. And so it wasn't just enough for the, for, the, for the seraphs to sing holy one time, but God is holy, holy, holy God. I want you to see that first this morning. Because as we understand and recognize the holiness of God, we recognize the Israelites on the ground below the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, and they couldn't touch the mountain. They could not go onto the mountain. And that tells us the second thing. We see the holiness of God, but we also see the sinfulness of humanity. We cannot, our sin cannot go into the presence of the holiness of God. He is that um, awesome in all of his ways, that holy. And so what, one of the things we see that Mount Sinai shows us is the unapproachableness of God. You see that? Because he's holy and we're not. We cannot approach God because of our sin. I'm going to tie this up in a few moments. But the third thing I want you to see on Mount Sinai, and this is where we really tie into what it looks like to live a life that's shaky, uh, it's this. It was on Mount Sinai that God gave the Ten Commandments. And here's where we begin to see what a shaky life is all about. You see, these first century Christians, going back to the book of Hebrews, these first century Christians were being tempted to go back to Mount Sinai. Now, not literal Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai in a spiritual sense, because Mount Sinai represented the law, the Ten Commandments. And so in keeping the law, they thought, in a sense, that they could honor God and appease him of their, because of their sin by keeping the law. Well, the irony in all of that is they couldn't. We, they couldn't keep the law because they're sinful, right? And so there was no way that that would appease God by any means. Here's the point I want you to hear this morning. We see this. They were tempted to go back to that which could not give them what they ultimately needed. You see, they were being tempted, led to go back to things, to a way of life that could not give them what they needed. It could not make them holy. Here's what I want you to see. We live a shakable life when we continue to turn to things that will not save us. Think about that in your own life. What might some of those things be that you turn to that you think will save, that you think will satisfy, but at the end of the day, it leaves you longing for more? Friends, that's a picture of a shaky life when we run to things that were never intended to save us. And, and I read this passage and I realize you and I are no different than these first century Christians. While we're not being tempted to go back to Judaism to try to keep the law, one of the things that, that we find ourselves doing is we create our own, uh, as I've heard it said, many Sinai's. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. We're tempted to go back to the things of this world, to the things we see in our culture to satisfy our needs, or to have our lives, as I mentioned earlier, reordered around the things of the culture where 
we become, I guess, if you will, uh, the captain of our own ship, uh, the, 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 the creator of our own destiny, where we want to create our own identity, we want to create our own truth, and so the temptation is to go back to a life like that. Let me ask you this. Can you see in your own life how that might be played out today? Can you think of examples in your own life where you've been tempted or where you actually are kind of going back and saying, well, I kind of like this, or, or I really do want to call my own shots, or I want to create my own identity, right? Can you think of areas in your own life where you're prone to do that? Friends, here's what I want to say again. We will live a shakable life if we hook our hope on the things of this world. The things of this world were never meant to give us what we need. The things of this world, the people of this world, were never meant to speak identity to us or give us identity or value or worth. What we need to see is the things of this world are fleeting, and they are every day. You see, let me say it one more time because we need to hear it. When we hook our hope on the things of this world, we will never be satisfied. And again, that's where we need to challenge ourselves to go, what are those things that I find myself hooking onto in this world? I've got a list pretty long <laughs> where I'm tempted to go back to. And if my list is pretty long, I know some of y'all, oh, maybe longer, no. Uh, we have a list, don't we, if we're honest with ourselves. And that's where we need the scriptures to speak in, that we would recognize if I'm hooked on this right here, Lord, help me take, take my hands off that because it's not going to satisfy what I really long for. Only you will satisfy. Back in the 1830s, a man by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville, a, a French political philosopher, commented on the American experiment, looking at America at that time. And he recognized how wealthy Americans were back in the late 18 or mid-1800s. And here's what he said. I think it's prophetic. He said this, The incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. Think about that. The incomplete joys of this world, and there are a lot of joys of this world, but they're incomplete. They cannot give us what we really want. will never satisfy the human heart. Here's a question for you. What do you keep running to that leaves you longing for more? What do you keep running to that leaves you longing for more? Is it social media? <laughs> Gosh, when you look at that, you see the more that everybody else has and all that you want that you never even knew you wanted, right? And then that just spins us in this tailspin, right? Well, maybe for some of you, it's pushing that purchase button on Amazon one more time that you find more and more packages pile up at your house, <laughs> The Amazon truck comes and, hey, there's something new. Let's see what it is, right? Just a little taste. But, friends, there are all kinds of things that we latch ourselves onto, that we hook ourselves onto that, as Alexis de Tocqueville said, will never satisfy the human heart. My point is this. When we run to other things other than the one true God, we will live a shaky life. We will be standing on shaky ground. Our lives will continue to be shaken. But that's what I love about the scriptures because that's not the end of the story. <laughs> There's always the glorious news in the midst of the, the reality of this, our struggle with sin, isn't there? And here's where we find what an unshakable life really looks like. It's found when we come to Mount Zion. 
Listen to these words again in verses 22 to 24. The author of Hebrews wrote, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is he saying here? What is this other mountain that we, are, that we have come to, he says? Friends, Mount Zion is far greater than Mount Sinai, what we see. You see, the Mount Zion that the author is referring to here, it's not a literal mountain that we go to. Mount Zion is another name for the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things I love is you look at what, the, what Jerusalem means, it means city of peace. What he's saying is that in Christ, you have come to a new place, a new destination. You have a new home. It is the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of peace. Do you know what happened in Jerusalem that brought peace? I want to take you back there for a moment. Because, friends, it's something that we've got to continue to remember in our minds over and over. Friends, when, when Christ was on the cross in Jerusalem, right outside And he gave his life for you and me. His shed blood brought peace between us and God. You see, let me take you back to Sinai. Remember Sinai, God was unapproachable because of sin. But what Jesus did on the cross for you and me, as he gave his life and shed his blood, he brought peace. So now we can come into the glorious presence of God without shame, without fear, without condemnation. Is that not glorious? the city of peace that we have been welcomed into. And I love how the author says this. He goes, but you have come. (laughs) But you have come. The tense of that verb is so crucial. It's the present tense, which means we're already there. We already have come to the new Jerusalem, the new heavenly Jerusalem. Now, that may sound strange to some of y'all, but listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 6. Paul wrote, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you may say, wait, I'm not up there. I'm here. How can I be up there if I'm here? Well, it's that term that that you'll hear us often say, the, the already not yet element of the gospel, right? When Jesus came to bring his kingdom among us, the kingdom of God came among us, bringing a new way of life. But for those who follow Jesus, who have given their lives to Christ, we are ushered into a new heavenly home. Friends, this world is not our home. I said it a couple of weeks ago, and I think we probably need to hear it again. This world is not our home. We have a new home, and that's in the new Jerusalem. And this whole idea of the already not yet, we are there, right? Spiritually, we are there, but we're not physically there yet. That will happen when Jesus comes back. But the point that the author is getting at and what you and I need to see here is this. We already are a part of a new city, a heavenly city. And let me tell you the blessing and benefit of that, okay? Three things very briefly that I want to talk about, that I want to name from this part of the passage that that leads us to living an unshakable life. The first is this, and I've already kind of named it, but this. We will live an unshakable life when we know that we now live in the presence of God. When we know that we now live in the presence of God. 
Think about what difference that would make in your life if you realize that you were a citizen of a heavenly kingdom where the presence of God is. And not only that, we see in the scriptures that, that in, in, in receiving Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now talk about the presence of God with us. Again, God was unapproachable at Sinai, but now in Christ, the Spirit of the living God lives in us. How incredible is that? To live your life in, an unshake, in, in, in a world that is shaking all around us. When the winds blow, to stand firm, to know the Spirit of the living God dwells in me. Friends, that is what I said in the newcomers class earlier today. That's resurrection power and presence. Where Paul wrote, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Talk about living resurrected life. Because the spirit of the living God lives in us. The presence of God will help us see that we live an unshakable life this side of heaven. The second thing we see is this. We'll live an unshakable life when we know the promises of God. We know the promises of God. Look at verse 23. I love this little verse. It's easy to miss. But the author writes this. If I can find verse 23. Here it is. And to the assembly of the firstborn who, en- who are enrolled in heaven, and to, the God, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I want to hone in on this statement, to the assembly of the firstborn. You know, in ancient biblical times, uh, the firstborn son, do you know what he received when the father died? He received the inheritance. And if he had numerous brothers or sisters, it wasn't split like many do today with all the, with all the kids. The firstborn son received all the inheritance. So when the father died, if he had a lot of wealth, the son, that son, only that son, became tremendously wealthy. Well, friends, what's so beautiful in looking at this passage is this. We know who the firstborn son is. It's Jesus, right? And when he died, guess what you and I got? The inheritance. All that is Christ's. Friends, all of his riches are given to you and me. Talk about a gift. Talk about grace that we don't earn, that we didn't try to do to get, right? Friends, that is, it's, 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 it's overwhelming when we stop and begin to look at the promises of God and begin to realize all the riches that are ours in Christ. You want to live a, a life that is unshakable? Friends, lean into the promises of God, <laughs> This word, his word is so incredible that, that it's filled with his riches of his promises for you and me. That today, as we receive them, friends, regardless of what happens around us, as I'll often say, regardless of whoever knocks on your door tomorrow and brings disruption in your life, you can live an unshakable life as you know the promises that are yours in Christ. It's a gift. His riches never end. And finally, the last thing we see here uh, is pointed out in verse 24. It's we will live an unshakable life when we know the price that's been paid for our lives. Do you recognize? I mean, many of you know this, but friends, I think that this is something that, that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to overwhelm us every day. The price that was paid for our lives. That God himself, the Son of God, shed his blood 
so that you and I could be reconciled to the living God. No longer is God unapproachable. But friends, because of the blood shed by Jesus, his son, you and I now come into the presence of the living God. The price has been paid. It hasn't just been paid. Remember what happened on the cross, that great transfer that I just love. As he shed his blood, we are washed in his blood, and all of his righteousness is accounted to us. Talk about living an unshakable life when you know who you are in Christ that you are righteous in him, that you now live in the heavenly realms in a sense, the very presence of God dwelling in us, the promises of God. Friends, we, we will never exhaust all of the promises of God this side of heaven. And then remembering the price that was paid for you and me. The invitation is to come to the new city, Jerusalem, isn't it? Because that is our ultimate home I want to end with this. This is uh, from a book that uh, N.T. Wright wrote uh, titled The Way of the Lord. Speaking of this new Jerusalem, here's what he wrote. Come then to God with your expectations great and small, muddled and over-eager. Come to the one who is the true object of all our desires and longings and who must therefore firmly but gently challenge all the lesser loves and hopes of our lives. Come like Abraham, not knowing where you're going, but trusting the one who is leading you. Take up your cross and come where the bed is still warm with the presence of Jesus, where the fresh bread and the sweet wine speak of what he has done for us. Come to the new Jerusalem, whose citizens you already are, to the place where God himself will dwell with his people and will himself wipe away every tear from our eyes. Come to the city where the cock crows no longer to accuse the disloyalties of the night, but to greet the new day and the children of that day. The new city where our Savior dwells. He is with us, friends. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the beauty and power and purity of your word. I thank you that you have given us a Savior who has ushered us into a way of life that probably many of us never dreamed we could live. Come, Holy Spirit, stir in us holy affections for you. Show us what it looks like to live in an unshakable way in a world that shakes all around us. And Father, in your grace, would you lead us to so love the people around us who themselves are being shaken to and fro by all of the worries and burdens of this world. May we bring the glorious light and grace and truth of your word to them where they too would be set free. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.